That's for Mickey, right? How's everybody doing? Get a good night's sleep, lucky ones that get here at 1130. Um, As you can tell, I have Mickey here with me. And the reason I brought him is because I'm going to tell you a little story about the day we met. About a year ago, uh, actually, yeah, about a year ago, my wife was eight months pregnant. And uh, we were... Part of our family was going to Disney, and we were home, and we're like, you know, um, we better get our last Disney fix in because uh, we're going to have this baby, and uh, we're not going to be able to go back for a while, you know, until he's a little older, and, you know, poor Caleb, you know, and I'm just saying, you know, put my, I'm the one that really wanted to go to Disney, you know, and it's not for the rides, it's, it's not for uh, Splash Mountain or Thunder Mountain or Space Mountain or any of the other mountains. There's this ice cream spot. Right by, like, where the phantasmic thing is, I mean, they have the best soft serve. I, I, I've tried soft serve everywhere, and, like, the best soft serve I've ever had is in the Magic Kingdom. So, you know, I want to go all the way to Orlando, pay, like, 300 bucks just to have the best ice cream, I think, ever. And so I finally convinced her to go, and we go with our one-and-a-half-year-old. Okay, that, that's a risk right there. And um, we had a great time, actually. And, and the coolest thing about going with your child to Disney World when they're that young, is that they're experiencing life. You know, they've never seen some of the things that they're exposed to when they're there. Fireworks and, you know, Mickey Mouse and all these lights and everything's geared for them. And and it's just awesome to enjoy it through his eyes. And we had a great time. And and one of the things I had to agree to, um, to go to Disney is that we weren't going to make any lines. We were going to fast pass everything. And so one of the things that we fast-passed was Peter Pan. She really, really wanted Caleb to go on Peter Pan because he likes alligators and he likes boats and all this stuff. And she thought he was really going to like it. I thought he was going to be scared because it's dark in there. But no, I was wrong. He loved it. He had a great time. He was clapping the whole time and, and just looking at us and saying, Bobby, Bobby, Mommy, Mommy. He, at a year and a half, he, he thinks that every man and every woman or every cartoon is either me or my wife. And so he would go, Bobby, Mommy. You know, um, and I don't know if maybe I think that because those were like the only two words he knew or something. But um, but here's the thing. We go on the ride. We enjoy it. We fast pass it. And I've been going to Disney my entire life since I was a kid. When I called to make a reservation, it's like, how many years have you been coming to Disney? How many times have you come? I have no idea. That's how many times I've gone. And what I witnessed that day, I've never seen before in all my trips to Disney. I walk out of Peter Pan, and there's like chaos going on. And it's weird at Disney, chaos. There's people running everywhere, okay? There's like people screaming. There's people on their phones. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And you guys know that um, Peter Pan is like right by It's a Small World. So all the commotions like towards It's a Small World. And I'm thinking they must have put in like a 10-foot drop at It's a Small World. You know, that's why everybody's going there. And, and, and I'm looking and, and, man, there's like grown men running over women and, and pushing children out of the way. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then other times um, when I've taught, I, I've told you that I'm a little nosy. You know, I'm one of those cop chaser type of guys. Yesterday, I went to the cleaners. Uh, I did a wedding last night, and I needed my shirt pressed. And I'm leaving the the cleaners, and and there's a cop and all these fire uh, trucks and stuff. And I'm like, let me go see what happened. And I drove by, and I'm like, oh, everybody's okay. And then I left. And so, and and I'm also one of those guys that gets, like, really mad when there's, like, uh, an accident. 
you know, and everybody has to stop to look at what happened, you know. And then, however, when it's my turn, I practically park the car and try to, hmm, man, he shouldn't have been going that fast. You know, I like, I, I checked the whole thing out. And you know what? This day was, was no different than all of my experiences when, when I just want to know. I have to know. You know, I see a light switch and I got to know what that light switch does. And so what I did was I grabbed my son, I put him in the stroller, and then I started running pregnant women over and kids over. Excuse me, baby coming through, excuse me. I'm like, excuse me. And finally, when I got to the front of It's a Small World, I realized what all the spectacle was about, what all the commotion was about. It was about this guy right here. That's Shaquille O'Neal getting off It's a Small World. Kind of ironic, right? (laughs) Actually, I'll let you, I didn't tell the first service this. Actually, uh, when I got in... Um, to it's a small world. I asked the lady, I'm like, hey, how did he ride? He's like, no, he rode on like the handicapped boat. So there's like one row in the back. And so he was like stretched out in the whole thing. But back to the story. And so I'm here. There's people on their cell phones. Shaq is at Disney. You know, they're texting their friends. Oh, Shaq said there's people like taking pictures of themselves with their cell phones and sending it to their friends, people with their cameras, camcorders, everybody taking a shot. At Shaq, and as you can see, by the time I got there, security had come out because of the commotion. And I got right up to the security with the stroller. You see the lady right there kind of looking at Caleb, I think, in the stroller. And, uh, and I was taking my pictures. I was texting my nephews. Oh, your uncle's so cool. He saw Shaq, you know. But the truth is this. You're laughing at me, Doris, but we've all done this. Okay? Everybody has, like, seen someone famous or someone that impresses them. And, and uh, you know, you get kind of, like, riled up. And actually, I wanted to prove my point, so I sent a text message to all the volunteers here at Calvary Fellowship. Have you ever met anyone famous? Who is it? I got all kinds of replies. Gene Simmons. Um, someone uh, met the president of the United States, president of Brazil. Brad Pitt. That picture never materialized, so I'm not sure. I, I believe the guy who said... That he meant Brad Pitt, but, but a few people sent me pictures, and, and I brought some of them. Here we go, first place. That's Maria, and that's Mike Ditka, um, and that's not a cutout or anything. That's really him. And you guys met Maria a little while ago when she did a connection card, and I got another picture of uh, Josie Noah with Andy Dick. I don't know why she wanted a picture with him, but she sent it. Here, I got a picture here uh, with one of the Heat players. That's Alex, an um, unknown Heat player. Um, <laughs> It's probably his fault that today might be the last game, but uh, next picture. Here are these kids. These are, uh, it's one of the most famous guys in all the world. Okay, this is Santa Claus and the O'Reilly kids. I don't know who's more unhappy, Santa or the kids. That Santa looks like he's got hemorrhoids or something. Look at him, look at his face. So, okay, uh, next picture is, um, this is Ruthie Glass. She met one of Muhammad Ali's hundred wives, and uh, she got her to, she actually went back to her classroom, Googled her name, printed out a picture, and took it to the lady so the lady could sign it. Talk about being in awe of someone that you admire. And so she went and she got that autograph. It says to Ruthie Poole. I guess uh, she didn't want glass in there. I don't know. I'll talk to Tracy about that later. Um, next picture. That's Ivan. You guys all know Ivan. He plays the keyboards right around there. He's actually here, I think. Um, two years ago, Ivan got nominated for a Grammy. That's not a joke. Um, and he met Kermit on the red carpet. Yep. But I think he's a little more proud of this next picture. That's Ivan and Bono. So 
Yes, I wish that was me. I actually went to a U2 concert and the best seats I could get were like section 500 behind stage. But I even got to smell Bono in that picture. <laughs> and so, uh, and then this next picture here is Tanya and Mike and Dan Marino. So Dan Marino had some major suntan, burn, something. I don't know what. Or he was blushing. Tanya made him blush. I don't know. So, uh, and then this last, last picture this is a Bill Daly. You probably don't recognize him. That's Bill back there about five years later. And uh, I-, I love what, what, what Don writes on the, on the picture. He says, to Bill, great play you called. And to me, it looks like Bill's trying to draw a caricature of Don or something. But yeah, that's authentic. What year was that, Bill? 1981. There we go. There's Bill, 1981. All right. And, and here's the point that I'm trying to make. We've all been in a position in our life where we've bumped into somebody that impresses us. Someone that, you know, like I said earlier, makes our heart race. Someone that we want to go out of our way to see, to snap a picture of. If we're lucky, even get in the picture or get their autograph. We've all been in a moment in our life where we've seen maybe one of these people or someone at their caliber that we wanted to be close to. And there's a spectacle that's going on as this star as this famous person is just like in the mall or in a theme park or at a restaurant and everything is buzzing, everyone is buzzing. And, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about in today's study. That's exactly pretty much what's happening in heaven, but at a much grander scale. Last Sunday, we left off in chapter 5 of Revelation where Pastor Bob was talking about Jesus, the lion and the lamb. The one that is worthy to take the scroll, the title deed to the earth. Worthy to wipe away all of our tears and shame and guilt and sin. Has now taken the scroll and check out what is taking place in heaven. If you pull out your outline, it's that little beige paper. Um, I want everyone to follow with me because there's a section that I'm going to need your help. And it says this, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They composed a song on the spot. I wish I could do that. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and, and all that is in them singing. And let's read this all together. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The four living creatures said amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. John is describing, what John is describing here is one of the most amazing pictures of worship that I have ever seen. And before we continue, what I really want to do is define to you what worship is. Check this out. 
And it's in your outline. Worship is holding a person or thin thing in a position of glory and living our lives dedicated to it above all else. And worship is revealed by the sacrifices we make. Hey, now that we know what worship is, I, I don't know about you, but all I can say is wow. What an amazing picture of Jesus in all of his glory being worshipped. The same Jesus that was rejected by men, beaten and afflicted for you and for me. The same Jesus that hung on a cross so that we could live the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb of God being worshipped. Jesus being given all the glory and honor that he deserves. Jesus is standing in the center of all this worship and everyone is directing their adoration towards him. Right now, there's this huge celebration going on in heaven. A song that has never been sung is being sung. All of heaven, all of her earth rejoicing and worshiping Jesus. Think about this for a moment. Man, this is the Super Bowl of Super Bowls. This is the concert of concerts. This is bigger than anything that anyone has ever witnessed. And you want to hear something amazing? If you believe in Jesus... If you've given your heart and your life to Jesus, you are going to witness this monumental day in history. And can you imagine in the middle of this celebration of the ages, man, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. If some dude just walks in and says, hey, what about me? I've done this. You know, I did that. Why doesn't somebody start worshiping me? And now he's he's starting a little commotion and people begin to worship him. You imagine that for a moment? Some of you thinking that, that'll never happen. That's crazy, Mark. You know, that, that's like if when I saw Shaq at Disney, I, I climbed on one of those garbage cans and I started saying, Yo, if you want a picture, take a picture with me. You know, I played basketball in middle school in the JV. You know, in a middle school in Hialeah. Come, come take pictures with me. You know, they'd probably like stone me or something. You know, that, that, that would be ridiculous. I actually played one-on-one with Alex Miranda on Wednesday. He's probably thinking, that that would be ridiculous if, if you wanted people to take pictures with you. But you know what? As ridiculous as that sound, as impossible as you guys think that that could be, we do this all of the time. We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers of Christ. And we allow other things to take worship away from God. We allow other things to get in the way of the worship that God deserves, that only he deserves. And you know what that's called? That's called false worship. And the Bible calls false worship idolatry. The Bible calls false worship idolatry. And this theme of of worship versus idolatry, man, that's pretty much what the entire Bible is, is composed of. It's God trying to redeem a people. And their struggle with idolatry, their struggle of focusing all their energy and all their love and all their support towards God. Man, not only is that the theme of most of the Bible, that's the theme of of mankind. It all comes down to worship. And what is getting our attention? You know, another way that the Bible defines worship, the Bible defines worship as dedication. The Bible defines worship as dedication, and I'm sure that now that's opening a bunch of eyes and and saying, wow, yeah, dedication. What that means is who or what you're dedicated to reveals what you truly live to glorify, what you truly live to worship. 
The things that you're dedicated to, the things that are taking up your time are the things that you're worshiping. And in our day, what people wear on their t-shirts or or attached to their cars, bumper stickers, or, or tack onto the walls of their cubicle. The things that maybe some people tattoo to their skin or, or post on their Facebooks or on their blogs or their Twitter pages. Man, that, that shows you, that gives you a sign of the things that they hold in a position of glory. And in our day and age, that can include anything from a boyfriend or a girlfriend to a hobby, to a sport, a band, a sexual identity, a political party. Man, there's people that would do anything for their political party. And we witnessed that, you know, a crazy election and just people from either side just zealous for their political party. A spouse, a child, a pet, an experience, or a lifestyle. You see, worship is not just for religious people. Everybody worships. Worship is for everyone. Every single person all over the world worships. And sadly, The majority of people are worshiping false gods. The majority of people are idolizing things. And you know what? What's even sadder than that is that there are Christians who are worshiping false idols. There are Christians that have had an encounter with God and are struggling with false gods in their life. And this is something that has been happening all throughout history. Second Kings 1733 says it like this, they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they have been brought. People that know God, and yet they, got, they get caught up with culture. And we see that every day. I see that every single day as a pastor. And I know what a lot of people are thinking, man, Mark, uh, you know, I, I understand there's people that are going through that, but there's no way. That's not me. I'm a Christian. The only one for me is God. And and you know what? I really wish that were true for a lot of you. But the truth is this, is that there's a lot of Christians that are living a struggle. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. I'm about to reveal something to you that's going to show you. If, if, it, if the sun hasn't, if the sun in, in the sky hasn't proven to you that God is real, if, if looking at your children hasn't proven to you that God is real, what I'm about to show you, and at least these are things that I look at in the way that people act, people's nature proves to me that God is real. People all over the world, the biggest atheists in the world, were born with a desire to spend an eternity with God. People that hate God, that would say that you are an idiot for being here on Sunday morning, in their heart is the desire to be in heaven and a fear of being in hell. And they will do whatever it takes to get to heaven. But this is the thing. It's not the heaven that we believe in, but in their heart is a desire to be in heaven. And I look at that and it's like, God is real. And you see, because they have a functional heaven, a filling in your outline. Everyone has a functional heaven. And I'll give you an example of what a functional heaven is. See, for many single people, a functional heaven is a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So if their functional heaven is is being in a relationship, then there's got to be a functional hell. And everybody knows what it is. It's, It's being single. Being single for them is hell. So if being alone is is hell and being in a relationship is is heaven then there's got to be a savior 
For example, if it was a young lady and the savior for her would be a guy. And now this is the one that is taking all the worship in her life. And so because now this is her God, she's got to pay a price. She's got to make sacrifices. She's got to sleep with him. She's got to take verbal and physical abuse because this is her road to heaven. How about this? How about if a guy sees purity and being faithful to his wife as hell and naked women as heaven, then perversion becomes his functional savior. And the only problem is now he's got to make sacrifices to worship his false god, blowing massive amounts of energy and time on, on websites and, and strip clubs and buying cheap drinks for, for even cheaper women so that he can get to his heaven. And how about this? We all know people like this. People that are like always striving to be successful in business. And the name on their business card, the title on their business card, the title on their door, the conversations that they have with people, yeah, this is what I do. You know, this is the type of business that I'm in. This is my status. This is the car that I drive. This is the house that I live in. This is the town I live in. This is their God. This status that they have to achieve is their God. And their hell is is being unknown. Their hell is being unemployed. Their hell is being poor. And so now their functional savior is obviously a job, is their career. And they will sacrifice whatever it takes for them to get to heaven. Their savior is their job. And so they'll sacrifice time with their children, time that they will never get back, special moments that they will never get back in honor of their God. They will sacrifice their marriages, time with their wives, For their God. They will sacrifice their health. They will sacrifice whatever it takes to get to heaven. When I was a kid, I used to spend almost every Saturday with my dad feeding homeless people. Um, That was like what we did on the weekends. And um, I'm really talkative. Not only am I nosy, but I I like to know. I like to know what's going on in people's lives. And so I I like to talk a lot. And and so um, I would go to a heat game, and all the homeless people would know me. I'd get off the metro rail, and everybody's like, hey, Mark, hey, Mark, what's up? You got a hot dog? You know, but they all knew me because I would take time to talk to them because I wanted to know what brought them to this point in their life. And the stories that they would tell would be something like, oh, I had a family, I had a house, and I went to school, I had a career, and I wasn't satisfied, and I had to escape. I needed a way out, and alcohol is what got me out of it. Drugs is what got me out of it. And so their heaven was this escape that they found through these drugs that they took. And the drugs that they took was their God and their reality was hell. And what did their God do to them? Their God took everything away. The same way that a bad relationship, if you worship the person you're in a relationship with, And now we know what worship is. It's not, oh, I worship you. But it's making sacrifices. It's giving dedication. You're sacrificing time and your life to something other than God. And you know what happens? You begin to lose stuff. You begin to lose your life. You begin to lose precious moments of your life. And and you, you could even end up 
Like these homeless people, they never thought, that wasn't their plan, that wasn't on their top ten things they wanted to do when they graduated high school, was to live under a bridge. And for some of you, you may never live under a bridge, but you may live alone. Maybe you'll lose your wife and your kids and they don't want nothing to do with you because you gave it all up for a job. Or maybe you gave it all up for pornography. Or you gave it all up for some type of addiction. And you see, here's the flip side. You could decide to follow Jesus. You could decide to follow the one that said, I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. And I don't know about you, worship an addiction that's going to kill me and put me under a bridge or ruin my family. Or worship a God that says, come to me, all who are tired, and I will give you rest. That's what the Savior of the world, that's why heaven was freaking out in Revelation Five, because the Lamb of God was standing in their presence. You see, we need to decide who it is that we're going to worship. We need to decide who it is that's going to be in the center of our lives. You see, because John painted a beautiful picture of what worship is in heaven. John painted this picture where everybody was in awe of the presence and the majesty and the glory of Jesus in heaven. And people are thinking, okay, so when I get to heaven, that's what we're going to do, right? Because that's what we're going to do for eternity. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to sing songs to Jesus. And, and I think that that's a lot of what's going to happen in heaven. We're going to worship Jesus with everything that we got. And a, and a big chunk of the time, it's going to be singing. But you know what else is going to bring glory to Jesus in eternity? It's going to be you. You're going to have a glorified body. And your presence is going to bring glory to him. You see, there's going to be no sin. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no crying. That's going to bring glory to God. Some people think, man, if heaven's going to be just about crying, it sounds kind of just about singing. It's, it's going to be kind of boring, right? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of singing. A lot of, we're going to be in awe in the presence of God. But you know what? I have a, couple, I have a list of people when I get there. I just want to have a conversation with. Man, I want to talk to Paul. I want to talk to Moses. I want to talk to my dad. I want to talk to people in my family that I, I never knew. I want to talk to the relative in my family that has blonde hair because I don't know why my two kids are blonde and me and my wife have black hair. You see, I want to, I, I want to spend time. I want to run down those streets of gold in my glorified body. You know, I want to jump like Michael Jordan when I get to heaven, you know. But you know what? We don't need to wait until we get to heaven to bring glory to God with our lives. We don't need to wait until we get to heaven to have Christ in the center of our life. We don't need to wait until then for Christ to be the center of everything that we do. We need to start living our lives that way right now. We need to put Christ in the center. We need to rev our life needs to revolve around him. Check out what the book of Romans says, Romans 12, 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That means that everything that we do must bring glory and honor to God. We need to put Christ in the center of our lives. And, and how do we do that? The first thing we need to do, it's in your outline. We need to get rid of our idols. The only way that we could put Christ in the center is to take whatever is in the center, whatever is occupying the center of our life, and move it out of the way. Destroy that thing. Get, get it out of your life 
and put Christ in the position that he deserves. The Bible says, 1 John 5, 21, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Identify those things. Is it a relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it a website? Man, for some of you, the first thing you need to do when you get home is get on the phone with AT&T or Comcast and disconnect that high-speed internet in your house. Because every time you get online, you put something else in the center of your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, it's something dirty that you're looking at. Maybe it's just you're just on that thing all the time and you're neglecting your family. The first thing you need to do is just get that out of your life and it's possible. One of the hardest things for people to do, some of you here need to do that, is you need to break off some relationships. And I'm not just talking about a boyfriend or a girlfriend relationship. Man, they're friends that every time you're around them, friends from your past or people you just met, every time you're around them, you start to veer off. Every time you're around them, you start neglecting the things that you believe in. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If those friends loved you as much as you think you love them, They wouldn't make you turn your back on what you believe. They wouldn't pull you away from Christ. You see, but those friends that when you're around them start telling you dirty jokes or offering you a joint or whatever it is they do when you're around them, they don't really care about you. They don't really care about your eternity and what you consider to be heaven. They're just trying to have a good time and they want to laugh at you or or whatever it is. Or maybe young man or, or young lady, you think that you've met the love of your life, but the love of your life, every time you're with him... Or with her, they pull you away from God. And you need to make the tough choice to put Christ in the center. Because he will give you everything that you need in this world. He will satisfy everything that you have. And that false idol will destroy your life. The Bible says in Psalms 31.6, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. That's a strong word. I wasn't allowed to say it when I was a kid, but God says he hates it when people cling to worthless idols. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. If people want to follow me, they must give up the things that they want. And they must be willing to give up their lives daily and follow me. Once we get rid of our idols and Christ is the center of our lives, we need to live lives that worship God. Everything that we do has to worship God. You know, the way we treat our kids, the way we talk to our husband and our wife, the way that we act at work, when we get to work, that has to be an attitude of worship. And just think about the outlook, how things will just begin to change if we begin to look at life that way. John 4, 23 says, but the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way, for God is spirit So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Last night, I I had the privilege of marrying one of my friends. And and as I was standing there and and I was looking at him and, and his bride, I said to myself, if this is not worship to God, I have no idea what it is. I've known them for a while and I actually did premarital. And just seeing how they honored God through this entire process is something that I rarely see as a pastor. Couples that are committed to what the Bible says. Couples that are committed to what God's design for marriage is. And I was standing there and there was even a moment where I got choked up. It's never happened to me before. And I I had to like, you know, catch whatever it is you catch so you don't start crying in the middle of a wedding. And and, um, 
And I just stood there and I just said, you know, praise God. Praise God that we can worship him wherever we are. And every, we didn't even sing a song, but God was worshiped there. And that is what our lives need to look like. And these next two things in your outline is how we stay with Christ in the center and, and how we stay living a life that worships God. And, and what we need to do, number three, is we need to ask the question, is this holy and pleasing to God? Think about that for a moment. If before you go out and do something you shouldn't do, you ask, is this holy and pleasing to God? If this Friday when they say, hey, let's go to happy hour, and you just ask yourself, is this holy and pleasing to God? What will your decision be? If the next time your kid does something they shouldn't do and, and you just want to scream at them and, and yell at them and, 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 and you ask, is, is what I'm about to say to them, is this holy and pleasing to God? If the next time you're going to surf the web and you ask yourself, is this going to be holy and pleasing to God? The next time you talk to your wife, next time you talk to your husband, if you ask yourself, is this holy and pleasing to God? I believe this has the power to revolutionize your life. This has the power to revolutionize this church. If we begin to now look through the lens of this, is this holy and pleasing to God? This verse is so powerful, Romans 12.1. This is your memory verse today, and I encourage all of you to memorize it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And you see, a lot of you have decided to, to put Christ in the center. I believe it. A lot of you are like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Some of you have done it in the past. Some of you have begun to live lives that are worship to God, man. You get along with your kids. You're, you're changing a lot. And, and sometimes I have people, Mark, you know, uh, things are going great. I'm, I'm changing a lot. And, you know, ask her. Ask him. Yeah, yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. But something happens. That you kind of like divert a little bit, you know, there's a, a, a step back or, you know, there's this thing that happens in your life and, and you slip. I promise you, if you start asking that question, is this pleasing to God? Is this holy to God? That will stop happening. And number four, if you start coming to church and you're like, Mark, we're in church. Yeah, but... For a lot of people, coming to church is kind of like, uh, hey, there's nothing to do. There's not a game on the TV. Uh, the kids don't want to go to the beach. Uh, I'm not tired. And so let's go to church. We need to start coming to church. We need to come to church regularly. It needs to be what we do. For so many people, it's something every other week, once a month. And here's the thing. We live lives that worship God at work. We live lives that worship God at home. And yeah. We're living lives of worship, but then there needs to be that time where we come together as a family, everyone. And we join together in the presence of God, in the presence of our Savior, and we worship as a family. See, that's the only way you're going to grow. That's the only way where you're going to get that alignment because life is tough. Life is hard. There are days, there's mornings when you don't want to worship. There's moments in your life when the last thing you want to do is say, is this holy and pleasing to God? Uh, I love you, son, even though you just broke my TV. There's times that you don't want to say that. And the only way that we get aligned is if we fellowship with believers, if we've come to church and get our weekly tune-up with God. 
If we come to church and just fall in the presence of God and just say, God, you are everything for me. And now I'm aligned and I'm ready to attack the world again. This is not just me saying it. The word of God says in Hebrews 10, 15, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but I feel like the day is approaching. I feel like the coming of the Lord is sooner than ever. The signs are obvious that we're living in the last days. I mean, things like swine flu and things like, you know, the economy, the decadence. It's, we're living in, in scary times. And the Bible says that in those days, make sure that you're having fellowship with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Make sure that you're coming to church and you're fellowshipping with God. And and in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to actually take communion as a family. To take communion as as the body of Christ. And the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to take the lids off of of the elements. The band is going to come up and and we're going to sing a song. It's called, How Great Is Our God. And I don't know about you, but I serve an awesome God. I serve a God that saved me, that saved my family. I serve a God that has given me an amazing wife and amazing children and the privilege to stand before you today. And I've witnessed many things in my life. And if God would not have been with me every step of the way, I don't know where I would be. And so when I take communion with God today, I'm just going to tell him, God, I'm floored. You're awesome. You're big. And I'm nothing. And if I amount to anything in this world, it's because of you. And I want to invite you to take this moment to put Christ in the center of your life. To take this moment to say, God, I'm sorry I messed up. Here are my idols. Destroy them. So that you could be the center of my life, the center of my thought process, the center of my home, the center of my job, the center of everything that has to do with me. God, Jesus, I need you there because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. And so I'm going to invite you just a moment as we sing to... Pray. Maybe you want to go off to a corner, kneel down and pray. You want to come forward and kneel down here in the front. You want to just stand up and raise your hands and and worship God. And then after we're done singing and everyone's got in their elements, we're going to partake in communion together as a family. But don't let this be just another communion. Don't let this moment go by. Without making a commitment with God, I believe all of us need to make a commitment with God. All of us need to tweak something in our life. All of us have experienced moments in our life when when we've neglected the right that Christ has to be in the center. Maybe you're a sold out believer and and what you need to do is just realign some things in your life or, or secure it and make sure that nothing gets in the way of Christ's place. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, Mark, that sounds awesome, but I don't know Jesus. I've never prayed or I think I've never prayed and I don't really know if, if I 
am even considered a follower of Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity now to pray a prayer with me. And everyone's going to help you pray. And repeat these words with me, everyone out loud. Say, dear God, I come to you today and I say I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And God, I come before you and I I pray for everyone in this room right now. I pray that they would have an encounter with you, Jesus. I pray, God, that they would surrender their idols to you. That they would partake in communion, God. And recognize the weight of what they're doing. The price that you paid by offering up your body and shedding your blood for the atonement of our sin forever and ever. In your name we pray, amen.